Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. You know, one of the hardest things for me to deal with in my job is when couples come to me when something really bad has happened. You know, maybe one of them's had an affair or somebody suddenly decides or announces, it's not a sudden decision, but they announce that they want a divorce. And it's not that I can't help them at that stage. It's just that the resolution takes longer and is so much harder than if they sought help before all hell broke loose. And unfortunately, the sad truth is that one or both of the people knew something was off long before the crisis happened. But the statistics show that it takes six to seven years of there being a problem in a marriage or a relationship before a couple reaches out for help. Yes, six to seven years. So it reminds me of that old frog in the hot water you know, fable that if you put a frog in cool water and gradually increase the temperature, the frog's going to boil because the water gradually gets too hot. And it's the idea is that they don't really notice that it's getting hot until it's too late. And, you know, I know this happens and up to a point, I do understand why. But to help me, and more importantly, to help you really understand what's going on, I'm joined by Rick Fortier. He's a writer and he really is a teacher of truth. So, Rick, thank you so much for coming back on the show to talk about this topic. Well, thanks, Leslie. Uh, I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity. So, you know, I, I found out this topic because you wrote an article that appeared on the Good Men Project, which it, which I think everybody should be reading because it's a great it's got some great content. Um, but the title of the article is "Why We Wait for a Crisis." and what to do differently. And you talk about you know, this common behavior. And you identified five reasons why people wait for a crisis before deciding to make a change. So what are those five things? Well, these are five that um, I personally have um, experienced and witnessed. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but these are the five that popped out to me as quite important and the first one is that we're creatures of habit uh-huh. so I'll just list them off first and then we can go back into them if you'd like and more sure. detail the second is that you know we're trained to respond to immediate gratification the third is that we live in a society of what I call busy uh-huh. the fourth is the devil we know is often more acceptable or palatable than the one we don't Absolutely. <laughs> and the fifth one is we avoid taking risks. So those mm-hmm. are the five that I came up with. So if we go back to the first one, uh, we are creatures of habit. We can start there. It's, um, okay. We're, we're hardwired for habitual behavior. That's, that's who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And our brains create these neural pathways as we repeat behaviors until they become you know, subconscious in our default way of thinking and behaving. So habitual behavior is nothing new and it's nothing who, um, in my opinion, is to be frightened of or it's not uh, something that is a dirty, you know, dirty word. You know, right, it's not, bad. it's not bad behavior because it's, it's kind of like we brush our teeth and wash our hair and you know, get dressed in the morning kind of 
in, in the same way, which is sometimes in the morning it's like, did I brush my teeth this morning? I don't remember <laughs> because it's, be, it's such a habit. That's right. And it's, it's recognizing, you know, why is this, why we wait for a crisis because we're creatures of habit is because we get into those routines, whether it's, you know, within ourselves or within our relationship, that they become subconscious, subconscious in our default way of behaving. And after a while, we don't even recognize we're doing it. Uh-huh. It's just what we do. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we wait for a crisis is that we get into these subconscious habitual behaviors that we may not even be aware of. Right, and, cause, and the crisis really kind of shakes us out of that habit because something unusual has happened and it gets our attention. Right. So the second one is, I like this, we're trained to respond to immediate gratification. That reminds me of the old um, marshmallow experiment with kids. <laughs> Great psychology right. experiment. Um, so what does, how does that play a role in not making change? Well, we have a tendency because of that to gravitate towards things that give us an instant um, feel-good response. So whether uh-huh. it's, you know, some examples like shopping, you know, um, pornography, gambling, sugar, alcohol, pharmaceuticals, fast food, instant messaging, those all give us something immediate. Uh-huh. Um, and it's easy to go there. So it's easy to create that habitual behavior is in, is in point one when they lead to immediate gratification. And so some of it could even be a situation where you avoid conflict. Right? Yeah, because that's, a, that's a biggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an instant sense of, of peace and, okay, I, you know, everything's good for now. And so right. we move towards those things as part of our default way of habitually behaving. Yeah, that's one of the things that I always come come up with when I'm working with couples is, well, I don't want to rock the boat. When things are going really well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say or do anything that's going to break that peace. So that's that, that's that instant gratification that I want everything to stay calm right now. <laughs> and, yeah, and I'll deal with it when somebody upsets the apple cart. So how does... Yeah, I'll deal with it later. So how does living in a society of busy, because that's one of the things that I think is really, really harmful for relationships, Um, you know, because I'll talk to couples and it's like, oh, we don't have time to go out on a date or we don't have time to talk to each other, you know, in depth every day. And I'm like going, okay, what is it that you're doing? But it is this, this constant thing where it's almost a badge of pride where you ask people how they are. They say, I'm busy. I'm really busy. Like, that's a great thing. But how does this play into it? into the waiting for a crisis? Well, it actually feeds into the first two as well, and the first two feed into this, is that we avoid, you know, the really important conversations. We avoid the really important things like Uh self-care when we're busy because they, they become a lower priority. And these things don't go away, these, these issues with our health or with our relationships, they fester when we're busy. Uh-huh. And those are the things that will come back and bite us eventually when we don't take the, because t- they, they have long-term consequences, and that's part of the immediate uh-huh. gratification, but this busyness as well, is we, we lose ourselves in somewhat in the moment and deal with the short-term 
situations as opposed to the long-term consequences of avoiding or not dealing with important things, really important things. Right. And I love the next one. The devil we know is often more acceptable than the one we don't because that's that's what I run into that yeah, I may be in I may be in pain right now, but the uncertainty of going in a different direction is really, really scary. So I'd rather not go there, you know, and then I convince myself, well maybe it's really not so bad where I am. So is that kind of what this whole one is all about? Yes, exactly. We talk ourselves into settling or say that the pain's not that bad. Um, I don't know what's out there. You know, we hear that all the time, that the grass isn't greener on the other side. So, you know, we're, we're kind of told that, you know, accept your lot in life, um, accept what your relationship is, the way it is, um, your job, whatever that is, because it's, it is and is what we know. So the uncertainty of what else is out there can cause mm-hmm. paralysis in ourselves and in our relationships and in our uh, fulfillment we, we get you know nervous and scared and you know again that what is it that we don't know can be scarier than what it is that we do know and so is that in alignment with the last one of we don't like taking risks because it's sort of like well you know, I, I want to guarantee, I want to know that if I go down this pathway, it's going to work. And it's like, well, well, well wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. hit it right there. But we, we do want, we also live in a society of we want guarantees and we want a defined outcome. And um, that's pretty much why we avoid taking risks. So, you know, I think, I think you said it great. And you know, risk and having challenges in our life and change to varying degrees, you know, it's in some ways it's unavoidable. Change happens all the time, but we like to right. manage the change, right? We like it to be low risk. I mean, you hear that with investments or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want a sure thing when I go to this next job before I leave mine. You know, some of it is makes sense when you can minimize the risk going forward, um, but other other times it stops us from seeking to be better versions of ourselves when mm-hmm. we avoid growth because risk and, and change implies growth. It involves you know, learning new things and new situations. And um, again, going back to being busy, you know, that it almost prevents us from, from that because we're too busy to you know, take that risk because where are we going to fit it into our lives and the devil that we know well we know what we have in front of us so all those things kind of lead into the last point that we avoid you know mm-hmm. taking a risk for a change that may help us in the long run right but we see it as too risky you know and we do want that outcome that we that we, that we know so I think you know you said it really well yeah, I mean, and you know, and and I don't think anybody likes. Well, there are some people who like risk for risk's sake. Those are those are you know, 
those are our explorers and the people who will you know do all kinds of you know stuff. But the majority of us kind of like you know slow and steady, let it go. And and the only thing you know, you're talking about that the only thing that's certain or the only thing that's constant is change. I mean, thank goodness I tell people, thank goodness I'm not the same person I was when I was 19 years old. <laughs> you know, at least I did learn something. Um, but it is but it is a little bit scary when it's something big. And it's not that people don't see the benefit of change. I mean, you know, every, every January 1st or or the end of December, we're all there busy making our New Year's resolutions. <laughs> you know, when I used to belong to a gym, um, I, I still work out, I just don't go to a gym. But, you know, it would be like January and February would be crazy because there would be all these people, you know, there. And not that I didn't think they should be there, but it's kind of like, okay, is it March yet when everybody kind of, you know... <laughs> when the resolutions die out. But so what is it that makes it so difficult to um, actually do change, to actually make lasting change? Well, I came up with a number of these, and I'm sure everybody can relate to them and more. And I use the um, the New Year's resolutions as just a, a reference point for people there's a lot of good intentions in New Year's resolutions. Uh-huh. You know, and, and they're almost always, you know, changes for the better that are going to help us feel better, put us on our, you know, towards our goals and our dreams. But so often we can't stick with them. And it, right. It's, it's perplexing. Like, why is that when we know how good it actually is going to be for us potentially? So the first thing is that old habits are powerful. So going back to those neural pathways that we've created in that subconscious way of being, Uh those are our default patterns of behavior. So they're very strongly entrenched in in who we are. And some of them can be part of our identity, if you will. Right. And so, you, you know, if we're not in it for the long haul, it's really easy to lose our motivation when we don't see that you mentioned about those instant results. Mm-hmm. And we, want it, we want to have that guarantee. So if we don't see instant results, we tend to lose our motivation. And the longer we go, we minimize our past pain. We tend to yeah. say, you know, it wasn't really that bad. Right. Or, well, I'll get to it later. Whatever those words are that we use, that we talk ourselves back into the old habits. Mm-hmm. And because because the new ones are still uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable, exactly. And so it's easier to, you know, to go back to who we were rather than go through that short-term pain that I call for long-term gain. Right. So what's another one? The second one is we doubt our ability to change. So we almost talk ourselves back into our old way of being. So we talk ourselves out of the change, you know, like some examples of being like, I'm too old, you know, I can't change, it's really too hard, I don't have time, I've tried before and failed, mm-hmm. you know, the old way really wasn't that bad, um, I'll do better next time, I'll start tomorrow, you know, the old one, Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, the t- I, I call that, you know, I tell people I belong to the Scarlett O'Hara School of Thought. I'll think about it tomorrow. <laughs> right. You know, so we're, we're great at telling ourselves the stories that reinforce what I call the old faithful behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we, we, we cast our own self-doubt. And that it could also be coming from other people. Yes. And so, well, yeah, you've tried that before. What makes you think that you can do that? And a lot of the times there, other people are putting onto you 
their own their own issues, their own challenges with making change, or they've tried that and it hasn't worked. So, you know, they want you to be in their camp in some ways, and you know, it's, and that's difficult too when you're when you have when you don't have the support. So not only do you have the external doubt coming your way, you also have the internal doubt, the negative self-talk, or some people call it the little bastard, or you know, the, little gremlin. <laughs> the gremlin. Yeah, the gremlin. Want to call it? You know, it's like sitting on your shoulder and it's whispering in your ear. Oh, that old way wasn't so bad. You know, and it is comfortable, and you know it. Well, and I think that, and, and I think that the other people. Um, not necessarily, or the lack of support from the people closest to us. And this is, you know, you see this all the time when maybe somebody's trying to quit smoking or trying to lose weight or trying to do something, to, you know, or maybe even go back to school or, or get a different job. And and then we start messing with our partner's comfort level. And it's like, I mean, you know, I, I remember, and it's one of the... It's one of the times that I was not supportive of my husband, and I truly, truly regret it because he was having a really horrible time at work, and he comes home one day and he says, I almost quit today, and I just freaked out because he was our he was the primary breadwinner, and it's like, oh, my God, you can't do this. I mean, he hit every button on me, and, I, you know, and, and looking back on it, I hurt him terribly deeply i mean because one he's a responsible individual and wasn't going to do that but even if he had things would have been okay but then you run into your own your partner's stuff and that can really sabotage you know an effort and especially when we're trying to change stuff within our relationship our partners may actually push back on us oh absolutely you know, that's a really good example and it uh, ties into the next point that I have is that you know, sometimes those closest to us do want us to stay the way we are because it upsets their apple cart, you know, and it, it's going to require them to start to change in some way or for the situation to change. And that's, you know, scary and uncomfortable for them, especially when we um, can throw it at them. They won't really have any warning. So people get defensive about you know, mm-hmm. where they are in their life and who they are, and you know, you know, going back to really your opening statement about when we don't talk about things early and we let things fester and the frog boils, you know, that's what happens. Is all of a sudden, well, you mean you don't like your job? That's the first I've heard of it. Or mm-hmm. you know, the other is that they, we get the you get the other side of it is well, just do things differently. This is what you should do. Oh, I hate that word should. Oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, you know, but this is this is how it works. It's like, well, but if it's not working for me, then it's not working and you know, yeah, changes changes that wonderful thing that is scary for everybody involved cuz you know, and we all have different levels of risk. And so you might be have a higher level of risk than I do, and if we're a couple, then how do we negotiate that? And that you know yeah, that, that risk, risk tolerance, yeah, yeah. So this is happily ever after is just the beginning on WebTalkRadio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm having a frank conversation about why we wait for a crisis before changing a problematic behavior. And I'm talking with author and teacher Rick Fortier about this. And even when we do change then sometimes the change doesn't stick. 
But if you're really serious about wanting to make lasting change in your relationship or marriage, I invite you to contact me right now while you're thinking about it. So take a moment and send me an email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N as in Nancy, C as in Charlie, dot com. Or give me a call at area code 919-924-0463 and take advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after marriage strategy session. Because while change is difficult, It's possible, especially if you're doing it with somebody where you've got a support system, as we were just talking about, Um, you know, because support is, is critical to help us get through those times when we're doubting ourselves, when we feel like, ah, I'm not making any progress. So, you know, it really can make a difference. So reach out today. And right now I want to get back to talking with Rick about... How, I mean, because some people really can make change, and oh gosh, I can never remember um, who the author is, and I should have looked it up before I got got on the um, show with you, about, it talks about like, about, it's the 80-20 rule, that about 20% of the population will really do what it takes to make change, it's, um, and do you believe that, or is there, or do you think that we're all given the right circumstances can actually make real and lasting change. Well, I believe we all have the ability okay. to, to make lasting change. Um, and there's countless examples of people that have been in, you know, unbelievably challenging situations and have made, you know, the effort and the choice to change their lives and they have. So, I believe that we all have the ability within us mm-hmm. to do this. Okay. So, yes, so I know you... I believe that the 80-20 is there, and that's mm-hmm. probably a pretty good, you know, average that 80% of the people talk about change and don't really follow through, and 20% do. So what's different about those 20% that maybe if some of the 80% knew they could move into that? Because <laughs> um, you actually talk about um, a method for successful change. Sure. First, I'm going to talk about the one that most people think is the way to change, which I don't find is really successful for most people, and that's the just do it. Ah. Well, just the willpower. Mm-hmm. Just stop smoking. You know, yeah. Just stop. Just whatever. say no. <laughs> just, just say, say no. no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or just whatever it is you know, that it is. And that's, that's built usually on short-term motivation of the pain of saying the same is so great that they just mm-hmm. have the ability to stop and move on. Now, I met some people in recovery when I was there that were able to do that, but very, very few people were able to continue on with the change long-term in that situation. So mm-hmm. some of the keys that I've discovered is, the first one is personal determination to change. So there's a lot of honor in changing for the better for your, you know, for in your relationship or for other people, but when you're not doing it truly for you, it usually doesn't last. So there right. needs to be a personal commitment to the change, and it's in some ways it's all about you. 
And, and it can be all about your relationship, but that, in that case, it needs to be about both of you. Well, and I think that's a really key point, and I think people don't see the subtle difference between that because, yes, my partner may be making the request for change, and it's a legitimate request, but I have to buy into it. I mean, I remember years ago, because I have a hot, fast temper, and my husband, in, in a moment of calmness, luckily he did not do this while I was upset, but he says, when you get upset, could you please handle it a little bit differently? And the, I mean, there was a lot that went into it, but I saw, but I, I saw the value of making that change, not just for our relationship, but for me personally. And I don't think that if I did, had not made that connection, it would have stuck. So that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, there, there needs to be something in it for you that's significant, of significant benefit. Right, because I frequently will get with, you know, with my clients that they'll say, well, I've been doing this for six weeks and my partner hasn't done anything different. I said, well, then you're doing it for, if you're doing it because you're expecting your partner then to do something different, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You need to do it because you want to do it and you see value in it, not because you're suddenly, the skies are going to open up and the sun is going to shine and the birds are going to sing and your partner's going to get it. <laughs> yes. So what's, what, what's another um, important characteristic for people who are able to um, create lasting change? Well, I mentioned the, the short-term pain-based motivation. So, you know, the pain of staying the same um, can, be, can be really good motivation. Uh -huh. that's, that's the kickstart your change. So reviewing that, what are the, the consequences of staying the same on yourself, uh, on your relationship, whatever that might be. So it's, you can use that as a reminder when you start to veer off track. Oh, yeah, remember what it was like, what I was like, or how I felt um, before I started on this path. So using that short-term, and I call pain-based motivation, can be really important as a reminder as to why you want to make the change from a negative consequences point of view so we don't get sucked back into the, the default way of behavior. Of behavior. So, would, so would, that, would it be helpful to write it down or do something? Because I, because I think sometimes we forget, those of us who've actually had babies, forget the pain that was involved <laughs> with having the baby. So it's like, because if, because if we remember the pain, we probably never would have a second one, which is great if you want to have more than one child. But, but can, can we, sometimes we forget how painful it was. I strongly, strongly agree with that about writing this down. So writing down the, the consequences of staying the same and also the advantages of staying the same because there's obviously some advantages or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. Something's in it for you. And then when you're considering the change, what are the consequences of the change? Because there's usually some downside and that's usually where we hit the wall. We talked about you know, we don't get results right away or it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. or maybe it's going to cost us some money, whatever that might be. It's important to understand those consequences as well of making the change. And then the last part is to write down the benefits of the change. 
and usually those are long term in nature. Like they usually move you towards like your goals, your dreams, a better version of you. Those are really important because those are the inspiring things that help you know, inspire us to move towards that change. So it's important, I believe it's important to have all of those written down because then you have in some ways no excuse and you don't forget. You can reference right. them all the time and you can actually add to them as well and cross things out as we, you know, we can add things as you go, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Or you can cross things out and say that's no longer an issue for me or a consideration. So this can be a living, in some ways a living document that goes with you through your change. Well, and you kind of talk about those as, as the three and four of, of your method for successful change about you know, creating a vision because one of the things that I know, especially when, when people come in to see me, is they're in a huge amount of pain. And right. they, don't, they don't really have a vision of what they want to be different. They just, they just want to stop hurting. And so yeah. they'll do a few things and the immediate pain will stop, but because they don't have a picture of where they're going, then I think the past or the old way, the habit becomes, that's where the familiarity and the comfort and the, oh, it wasn't so bad go because, you know, I'm kind of out in the wilderness and I don't really know which direction I'm supposed to go. Well, let me go back where I was because at least there I knew where it was. And so I think having that vision, you know, what is it that you want this to look like? And I know that in um, a lot of high-level sports, um, they'll do that. It's like, it's like, okay, picture winning the race or picture winning the tournament or picture hitting the home run or whatever it is that, you know, there, there's actually a picture of it. So you're, so what I'm hearing you say is that this is part of that same process is create this vision of where you want to go. Yeah, in other ways, I think it's really good, a really good example. Another way of putting it is um, in recovery we called it playing the tape forward. So mm-hmm. playing the tape forward, if you to revert to your old way of behaving, and also play the tape forward to if you continued on the path of change. And, and create that picture. What is it that you want? What is it that it looks like? But also play the tape forward if you don't. What's your life yeah. going to look like? So it's important to have both of those visions, both inspiring and reality if you don't change. So that you can be making this, this change cognitively mm-hmm. and you're, you're understanding the outcomes and the consequences because both is a choice. Either way is a choice, staying the same or making the change. And I love and I love that because you know, and we tend to f- either put rosy color we put rosy colored glasses on onto both of those things, and it's I think it's when you, one of Einstein's definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, which is not paying attention to the fact that if I continue down the same path that I'm on right now, the result is going to be exactly what I've got right now or worse. Right. Versus if I do something different, as uncomfortable as it is, it's potentially leading me to where I want to go. And if I have a clear vision of where I want to go, then that also helps me through those times when it just seems impossible to keep walking down that path. Yeah, and it's, what it comes down to is how important or 
is the change versus staying the same? So there's different aspects to it. We talked about the consequences and the long-term mm-hmm. goals. Um, but, you know, there's no right or wrong answer here. But what's, what is important is as you write these things down, go, what's my priority of this change and of these aspects? So, like, how, you know, how much of an impact is it to me, the consequences of the change, that discomfort? And be mm-hmm. honest with yourself. Because, you know, you know what, what makes long-term change successful is you know, that the long-term goal needs to be more important to you than the way things are now. Otherwise, if it's more important the way things are now, then that's where you're going to go. And it's not right. a right or wrong answer. It's understanding what's important to you. And then you can make the choice with clarity. Right? And you don't, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to fret about it. Like, I'm not ready as an example. I'm not ready to take that new job yet because of these reasons. Right. right. But I do want to do it at some point. But I weighed the choices, and it's not, it's not in my best interest at this point. It's not a priority for me in my life. And that's okay. So for me, it's about, it's not making a decision one way or the other based on, something in the moment or what other people say we should do or mm-hmm. it sounds really good. It's about really understanding what's important to you and that's how we make long-term change last. That's the last point. It's understanding the consequences of our choice but understanding what is really important to us in making the change. Well, and I loved your just talking about that, you know, maybe I realize I want a different job but I'm not ready to do it right now and sometimes just going through that process we can start taking maybe some small steps towards that goal. It, you know, it, so it's not a suddenly I'm quitting my job and starting a new one, but it's like, okay, what, what would I need to, be, to feel more comfortable or more ready to leave this job? And then that's about, again, take, make, taking small steps in, that, in the direction you want to go and then as opposed to just, I mean, I, and I think that's true when people say, oh, I have to lose 50 pounds. Well, it's like, okay, that's just, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to lose 50 pounds. It's like, well, now it's just today I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to park 20 feet, you know, further away from the front door of every place I'm at. So I'm just having to walk farther. You know, it's, <laughs> it's chopping it up into a little, little bit smaller doses. Yeah, that's so important is is to make it make your goals realistic and you know there's a whole smart goals thing mm-hmm. but when you when you are patient with yourself and you practice and you're persistent in the change and you make small steps and then you can check those small steps off then you feel like you're making progress and even if it is like you said being prepared for something major down the road, but you're getting prepared, then you're going to feel more confident in the decision when it's that time. And it's the whole idea of empowerment versus mm-hmm. victimization. When you take positive steps, in however small they are, you're going to get a sense of empowerment. When you feel like you have no choice or that, you know, uh, you talk yourself out of it, you, we tend to feel like a victim. Right. Like we have no choice. And so how we can manage that, you know, the success rate and, and make it more realistic is to feel empowered and take those small steps, like you said. Right. Well, I think that's great. And I know that you have um, a, something that can help our listeners. So can you tell people where they can find out m- more about 
you know, how to make change, how to make lasting change, and also where to find some other of your brilliant advice that you share with others. Sure. So um, I've created a tool called the, the, the Choice Comparison Matrix, and it's pretty much what we were talking about, about writing things down, you know, the benefits, advantages, disadvantages of each of, the, of your choice and seeing where you are. And I've got a, um, a free tool, includes videos on how to, there's no charge, um, all you need to do is just give me your email address and if you don't want any more email from me, you can just opt out at any time. So there's nothing, there's no real you know, buy-in involved. Um, it's at choosingtothrive.com and it's CCM tool dash request. So, so CCN tool dash request. Okay. Mm -hmm. For the tool itself, and I've used it in numerous, numerous situations in my life, made numerous significant changes, and it has helped me make better changes and create a better life for myself. Highly recommend it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And you will feel empowered and you'll have clarity in your choices. I just, I can't, it's, it's nothing that I invented. I took something and I modified it um, uh -huh. from um, a program called Smart Recovery. And I added my own, you know, elements to it that worked for me. Um, SmartRecovery.org. It's tools for life there as well. Highly recommend that program. And then my own website's called uh, rickforche.me, so R-I-C-K-F-O-R-T-I-E-R.me. Uh -huh. And that's my personal blogs and articles. And what I write about is really, you know, really helping. My focus is to help men, which helps women, which helps relationships, you know, uh, sharing right. what I've learned about my journey um, to, be, to become a better man. Um, one of who's more authentic and more integral and walking my talk. So that's who I am, and I'm really, really pleased to be here, and I thank you for inviting me. I love sharing my stuff because I'm just so passionate about it. It's really, the stuff I, I teach, it's stuff that's helped me, and I'm just, I just want to give back. Right, and it's and it's important for those of us who've walked through stuff to to reach back and help other people who may be struggling, and you know they're they're kind of wandering in the wilderness, and and you're and you're giving them a a hand and a path out, and you know I'm actually the eternal optimist because I believe that when people know better, they do better, and I also believe that because we have the ultimate power over our own choices, one person can make real change in their relationship. And what it takes, as we talked about a little bit earlier, is the determination to do it. So the question that needs to be answered is, what's getting in your way? And so I invite you to shoot me an email and tell me what it is, because I really do want to know. And until next week, stay loving. Stay loving.